0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Has your office ever had a weight loss challenge? It kind of sounds like a sitcom plotline, but they are way more common than you might think. This month, we have been exploring fat phobia and weight stigma in a series called Bias Against Bodies. So far, we've looked at fitness, travel, and plus size fashion. This week, we head into the workplace. Where does bias show up in the hiring process, in pay gaps, and in the office, even after you get the job? And what's the answer? Joining us now is lawyer Brandy Solovey, who runs the FAT Legal Advocacy Rights and Education Project. Welcome to Reset, Brandy.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Also with us is Esther Rothblum, a professor emerita in San Diego State University's Women's Studies Department. She's spent her career researching weight bias and trying to answer these questions. Hey, Professor.
2: Hi, how are you?
0: Doing well. I'll actually start with you. Tell us why you started doing this research and where you began.
2: You know, my background is a psychologist. And what I found is that when I ask people about sexism or racism or ageism, even on anonymous questionnaires, people really hate to admit that they're sexist or racist or ageist. You know, even if you tell them that you're going to collect all the questionnaires in a large room and put them together with no names, but if you ask people about fat oppression, they will tell you they hate fat people. And so it was really fascinating to me as a fat woman to see that it was a way to study prejudice and discrimination directly. I didn't have to do anything that was indirect.
0: What do you think makes folks so bold with that distinction?
2: I think that there are very few protections for fat people. And I think people will Openly admit that it's also perfectly legal to discriminate against fat people. Very few places in the world have laws that actually say it's illegal to discriminate based on weight.
0: Brandy, let's bring you in here. How about you? I mean, how did your experience lead to an interest in weight bias?
1: So, in law school, I was actually lucky enough to be introduced to these concepts and this law, and I went to a public interest law school, and I'm a person with a disability, and I'm a fat person, and, you know, I've had to advocate for myself through my life, and I had to do a lot of advocating for friends and family members around these issues. So, you know, it kind of came natural (laughs) based on being an attorney.
0: Well, let's jump into talking about hiring. How does this affect the hiring process, Professor, and and the, the types of jobs that folks
2: can get? Well, employment discrimination kicks in in many different levels. And research shows that fat people are less likely to be hired. They're perceived as having more undesirable traits. When they get a job, they're more harshly disciplined. They're given inferior assignments. They're paid less. They may get fewer benefits like health insurance, and they're fired for not losing weight. So in terms of hiring, what I usually recommend is it really helps if employers, rather than using in-person interviews, actually look at somebody's applications on paper. I mean, that has a whole lifetime of their qualifications or interviews them on the phone so that people are not biased by looking at somebody's appearance. And that is particularly true for women who don't have to weigh very much before this kind of discrimination kicks in.
0: Yeah. Well, talking about appearance there, Professor, you've run experiments where people were presented with two identical resumes, but with different photos, right? Talk about how you conducted those experiments and how those uh, led to the results that you just mentioned.
2: That's right. You know, if I apply for a job and I don't get it, I really don't know who did get the job and what their resume looked like. And even if I had access to all the applicants' job resumes, You know, people's lives are so different that it would be kind of hard to figure out what the hiring committee was looking for. So the kind of research I've done and other people have done is we use the identical job resume and we accompany it with a photograph of a person that differs in weight or perhaps even a written description. So just for example, in one study, we used a typical resume of a graduating college senior. And we got these sample resumes from the career development office at my university. And then we had college students rate the resume and unbeknownst to them, we accompanied it of a photograph of a woman who either looked thinner or fatter. And what we found is that when students got the resume that was accompanied by the fatter woman, they rated her more negatively on supervisory potential, self-discipline, professional appearance, personal hygiene, and ability to do a physically strenuous job than did the students who got the identical resume, but the one accompanied by the thinner photo. And by the way, these these women were not that different in weight. Mm. I would say one weighed about 120 pounds and one weighed about 150 pounds. And yet that difference in weight wow. made a huge difference in how they were rated.
0: That's not very different at all. Well, wow. So, Brandy, the professor brought up the absence of law here earlier. And so that we're clear, tell us where the law stands on, on weight-based discrimination and hiring in,
1: in the workplace. Because is this really legal? Yeah, so there are some specific states that make it illegal to specifically discriminate based on someone's size. One of those states is Michigan. Washington state has a case law, which is not an actual legislation, but based on case law, it's illegal. And there are some cities such as Santa Cruz and San Francisco that also um, make it illegal to discriminate based on someone's weight in in those jurisdictions. But, you know, we never want to discourage someone to not reach out in case they are being discriminated against based on their weight. They should definitely contact either a nonprofit in their area, a lawyer, or even Fat Legal Advocacy Rights and Education Project to discuss what's happening because it's a case-by-case basis. And even if there's not specific legislation, they might be covered under other state or local or federal disability laws, such as they might be covered under the ADA.
0: Professor Rothblum, does this bias tend to affect pay?
2: Yes, it does. You know, there are studies that look at large population-based surveys, and uh, many of those surveys ask people for height and weight. They also ask for income, and often people fill them out year after year over time. And there's something called the weight penalty, and of course, weight is on a continuum So typically, the more somebody weighs, the less they get paid, and that discrepancy is particularly true for women. Again, there are some studies that really find that men, it doesn't so much matter what their weight is, but for women, it kicks in at a very early level so that even women who are underweight tend to get paid more than women who are so-called average weight.
0: Right. Let's talk about how this shows up once you are in the workplace. Our producer spoke with a recruiter at a video game company. Her name's Michelle Duffy, and she had some thoughts about fat phobia in corporate America. Let's listen.
3: By working at some of the coolest studios that have been out there, you walk into these amazing campuses and amazing buildings. They have free lunch. They have amazing furniture that is designer. They have these really incredible programs that promote wellness and access to care. And all of it sounds really good. But as a person of size, when you actually go into those spaces or you try to access that program or that information, there are a lot more barriers than I thought people actually were seeing.
0: Randy, tell us a bit more about where else this discrimination shows up in the office.
1: Uh, Discrimination in the workplace shows up, as Esther was saying, in the hiring process, as well as once you do get hired, you know, there may be a reasonable accommodation that you need. There may be a chair or a desk or something that needs to be needs to be different. And I've also assisted individuals that have actually been hired by a particular person and things are fine. And then maybe their supervisor changes or something. And that supervisor has biased against them based on their weight and will start targeting someone to, you know, try to sort of really track what they're doing to try to get rid of them. Some companies, some corporate companies, you know, have a particular look and all their people look the same and they want all their people to fit that mold. And if they have someone that doesn't fit that mold, they, you know, have tried to target folks to get rid of them.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And we are discussing weight bias in the workplace with Professor Esther Rothblum and lawyer Brandy Solovey. All right. Here is Michelle Duffy again on how this all impacts workers when they enter spaces that just aren't built for them.
3: I would say the stakes for a fat person entering a workplace that is not designed for them is a feeling of being othered within that workspace. When you think of like companies doing diet bets where they're telling their employees like if you lose this much weight we'll give you incentives around x y and z that is another othering experience that i think companies aren't recognizing and fat people talk about a lot but our leaders and the people in these companies that make these decisions don't see the harm in that on a personal level i think that's what's at stake is people's general sense of well-being in these environments that they are in at least 40 hours a week
0: so professor what do you think the stakes are here
2: Well, I think when companies do these kind of weight loss interventions, they are really terrible for several reasons. One of them is that a lot of people drop out. And so, you know, people are not losing weight. They don't like the intervention. And yet, you know, there they are in the workplace. Typically, a lot of people do drop out of diet programs in general. And that means that when these programs are looking at how successful they are, they're often comparing the weights of people at the beginning, and then at the end, they've only got the people who are left, the ones who lost weight, not the ones who didn't. And so I think weight loss programs are really bad because, first of all, they highlight something that can't be changed, uh, body weight. And secondly, in some subtle ways, they may blame employees for failure to lose weight and keep it off.
0: Who is most affected by weight-based discrimination, Professor?
2: Well, again, as I've said earlier, it's really a more of an issue for women than for men. And women do not have to weigh very much before this kind of discrimination kicks in. Just as an example, Chris Christie was the governor of New Jersey. He's a fat man. There were a lot of really horrible fat jokes about him. At the same time, Hillary Clinton was running for presidency. She is not nearly as fat as Chris Christie. In fact, in many ways, she appears sort of average weight, and yet there were many, many fat jokes about Hillary Clinton. So again, for women, this kind of discrimination kicks in at a much earlier level.
0: As you mentioned, Brandy, you head up the FLAIR Project, and FLAIR is an acronym for Fat Legal Advocacy Rights and Education. What kind of work are you all doing on weight-based discrimination?
1: So we at FLAIR... Do direct services. So we help people that are facing discrimination based on their weight. If they're in California, we can represent them because I'm licensed in California. If they're not in California, I can still chat with them, try to refer them to another organization or send them to, you know, someone that's in the state that they are in. And also sometimes I talk to attorneys in other states regarding, you know, weight laws. And then in addition to that, We also help pass legislation. So, for instance, the founder of FLARE, Sandra Solovey, she actually helped pass the legislation in San Francisco. And we are currently working on getting other other legislation passed in other states. And we also do projects. So currently we're working on an imaging project. Probably a lot of people don't realize that most MRI machines if you're over 350 pounds, won't work for our bodies. And so we are trying to work with manufacturers and trying to get imaging machines made for people of all sizes.
0: Yeah, well, you know, Brandy, we have been talking a lot about the workplace today, but where else do you see weight bias show up?
1: I think it shows up in all aspects of fat people's lives. So it, yes, it does show up in employment. It can also show up in child custody issues. It shows up when people are going to school. I've represented folks that are, you know, getting graduate degrees or or even middle schools, elementary schools, maybe they don't have desks that fit kids or school uniforms, but a, a really, really, I mean, all these issues are important, but an issue that is near to my heart and really important is healthcare. I feel like if we can't get the health care, if that people can't get the health care they need yeah. <laughs> and should be getting, then all these other things don't matter as much because it ends up, I mean, people die for not getting the treatment they need to be getting. And so we've, you know, helped a lot of people trying to advocate and navigate the healthcare system. I mean, there's even, for example, if you have a BMI over 35, you cannot get an organ transplant anywhere in the country, even if the organ is coming from a family member or a friend of yours. Um wow. and I've had in, I've had clients that have contacted me about this and have later actually passed away because they couldn't get the kidneys that they needed. Goodness. So I, yeah, so it definitely reaches every aspect of life, specifically healthcare is a, is a really big It's a big
3: one. Yeah.
0: Well, I want to play one more clip from Michelle Duffy. Here she is talking about solutions when it comes to hiring.
3: I just want a little bit. Give me a little bit. And I know that you're at least trying. I'm not asking for the moon and the stars. I'm asking to be treated like everybody else and to be given the same considerations. If companies could employ more opportunities to decrease unconscious bias or make their recruiting teams more aware of when unconscious bias creeps in, I think fat people would have a better chance at getting opportunities at workplaces.
0: So, Professor, Michelle also told us that she thinks that there's a lot of work to be done in improving infrastructure like office furniture and layouts. Some of the things that Brandy brought up earlier. What do you think employers can do to decrease fat phobia and employment discrimination in the workplace?
2: Yeah, you know, this is a really big and difficult question because fat phobia is so present, as Brandy was saying. Um, What I would recommend is, as I mentioned earlier, that it's really important to hire employees in a way that doesn't focus on their appearance so much. Mm -hmm. I also think that when you are an evaluating employees for their performance or for promotion to use really objective criteria. And also, you know, it's important to think about the customers or the clients or whoever is, you know, part of that company so that any kind of pamphlets or websites or flyers really portray people of all size. So, for example, when I get a catalog in the mail for women's clothing, it's great when they show some plus size models. It makes me realize that, yeah, I could actually think about purchasing items from that catalog. It's not just for young, thin women, for example.
0: Well, Brandy, you mentioned that you've been making some legal efforts already, but what do you want to see from a policy standpoint
1: We are working towards legislation in Massachusetts, New York City, New York State and New Jersey. Yeah. Anything on a federal level? Anything on uh, as far as legislation? Yes. Um, We're working state by state and some cities first. Um, There hasn't been anything on the federal level yet, but hopefully in the future. And I also want to mention that definitely this, you know, we can't. This conversation cannot be complete without mentioning that all of the things we've been talking about so far disproportionately impact certain communities of color, uh, like Black and Brown folks. And so I think it's very important to highlight that.
0: Brandy Solovey is a lawyer who runs the FAT Legal Advocacy Rights and Education Project, and Esther Rothblum is a professor emerita in San Diego State University's Women's Studies Department. Thank you both.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having us.